Welcome to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their work. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznagel. Today on the pod, we have Love Jones, a local Portland musician and beat maker. Um, we talk about his most recent album, No Distractions. He breaks down his process and we get to listen to a little bit of his music. It was really, really cool. And it was, it was, it was great to have uh, the first time a podcast called Radical Listening has had a musician as the guest <laughs> so that was pretty cool it was it was a it's a nice new format yeah we end with with a pretty pretty interesting headlines so enjoy this episode this one's going to sound a little bit different but thanks for sticking with us today on the podcast we have love jones a local portland musician um so uh hello how you doing love jones <laughs> good how are you guys we're doing good oh hanging in there <laughs> getting used to the digital life that's yeah. right you've been having a lot of projects lately actually i uh saw you did something last night it was saw it on instagram i'm sorry what was what was that yeah so one of the things that i do uh, i outside of just production is um i'm a co-founder for a local hip-hop producer showcase called a beat happening uh, we've been holding it monthly at Future Shock Records on East Burnside for like, this was entering the third year, but we were only able to do one show before everything got shut down. So um, because of that shutdown, the record shop has suffered, uh, you know, with the inability to pay rent like a bunch of us. So we threw a fundraiser to help the shop stay in business, essentially. They didn't get a business loan, small business loan. Um so we kind of just called out a bunch of our Beat Happening alumni and local just supporters of what we do and other and other kind of groups in the community to throw a giant, like a four-hour fundraiser uh, featuring musicians, including myself. It was all just for fun. You know, I mean, essentially we were asking for people to donate money while we were performing, but not because we were performing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were able to raise just under... Fifteen hundred dollars for the for the business, which was nice, pretty significant. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, it was ended up being twelve musicians and two two dance crews. Um, cool. So yeah, it was logistically a lot to to deal with, but it was for a good cause. And uh, yeah, that was one of probably the bigger projects that I've been messing with in quarantine. Yeah, so when you perform like that, um, what are you usually performing on? What what are the instruments you use while you're performing? Um, well, for that, I just kind of gathered because if anything, during this quarantine, I've been wildly productive. I was like, if you just tell me I got to stay at home with no job <laughs> yeah, and make music all the time, I probably have like 10 albums worth of stuff I'll put out by the end of all this. But That's amazing. So I've just been making music, so... A lot of this is just me playing things I've been working on recently. You know, I have uh, Logic and uh, Machine Studio. Yeah. And, you know, between that, all those different platforms, it's just, uh, I'm glad we'll talk about kind of how I start the process because it it's not always the same. Yeah. But yeah, it's just been, I've gathered a bunch of recent stuff that I've been making and then played some stuff. Uh, one from the No Distractions Project and just other vocal projects, mostly as a reminder, because I think a lot of people, I mean, I do make primarily beats, but a lot of them end up being the instrumentals for uh, songs later on. Mm. So, so with No Distractions, I'm really curious because 
I was listening to it um, again last night, and I heard it. I mean, you talked to me about this, you know, several, I guess, months ago at this point. But um, how did you link with those artists? Because they're Japanese, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're still in Japan. They've never been to America. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a long, not that long of a story, but longer than a few sentences. Uh, <laughs> but I'll try to summarize as best as I can. One of the, so starting in like in 2012, a Japanese artist reached out to me. Um, they found one of my beat tapes online and reached out, wanted to use an instrumental. And one of the artists featured on that project has since turned into like a, what they, they call like the, J, the Kanye West of Japan. <laughs> uh, so just pure by chance, that track has become the most played thing I ever produced. So, uh, and you know, it gets like hundreds of monthly plays and like, it has like 10,000 or more plays on YouTube, even though it's just a static video. Um, so I was always kind of both impressed and like in awe that this one track from Japan had been doing so well for all these years without any promotion. And so part of me wanted to create an actual project for Japan with Japanese artists, just to kind of both pay homage to the fandom that has come from that one track, but also just to see if it really will hit in a, in the same way. And because a lot of artists from Japan have influenced me, so it just felt like this kind of big exchange. And there's an artist group here in town in Portland. When I first moved here in 2014, damn, is that right? <laughs> yeah, 2014. That's when I moved here too. <laughs> like, like legit, like this weekend too. I think Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> oh yeah. So I met a crew here that was called Futuro, and it was like this big oh, artist. Yeah. One of them ended up being a friend of mine who showed me Future Shock for the first time. He just, you know, he was like, "Show me where stuff is, record shops, all these things." So he happened to be a member of Futuro, and within Futuro, Neo Geo, who is one of the like vocalists rappers i met him and then years later he put out an album with these guys in japan and i was talking to him about that project and this thing that i'd done with he goes by slack um and dj kiemi out in japan and how i would like to try to find some japanese artists to work with and so he was like willing to connect me to some of the people that he had worked with um but not the same artists so i reached out to one of them through Facebook Messenger, uh, like we were all connected, and then I told them what I wanted to do. Their English wasn't the greatest, but essentially I was like, just you know, I'll send you music, and if you like any of it, record it. So I did. I sent them my most recent project at that time was I think Go Getter was the the album that I had already put out. So I just sent them that to get an idea of the type of beats that I made. And like that same weekend, they they recorded three rough demos and sent them back to me. And I was like, oh, damn. I was like, all right, <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, all right, yeah, let's, I have no idea what you're saying, but I assume you're good people. Just <laughs> like record them for real. And so their crew is based in like Tokyo and Osaka and uh, Kyoto. So they were, they're not all in the same space. So they just recorded their vocals and then sent me the vocals and then told me the beats that they wanted to use. So it took a long time to secure all the vocals from everybody, but they got like guest appearances and um, uh, collaborations with other crews, sent me all those things. And so I took the time to kind of remaster their vocals 
and match them with the beats and then make little changes along the way to kind of make it more more not digestible but just kind of like throw some changes in there and switch it up a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, yeah because some of the verses are only like one verse and then it then it kind of fades out which is funny because a lot of the beats i make are just kind of ideas or what i call like sketchbooks where they're only like 50 seconds or a minute and a half long so i never intend for people to only record a minute and a half long (laughs) but most people just do that so yeah i just kind of played with that and it took probably three or four months to wrap it all up um and then the plan was to go to Japan this fall and go on like a mini tour of Japan, both promoting their work and just kind of like, again, touching base with the fans that I already had. But good old coronavirus ruined that. So <laughs> once that happened and everything got canceled, um, I just went ahead and put the project out on my own. Mm. Um, have you yeah. have you heard any feedback from any of the artists about how they feel about that? Yeah, I mean, they they seem to be, like, within their circles, I can tell, like, listenership in Japan has gone up a lot on the Spotify, at least, um, of the analytics that they send you as an artist. It shows the listenership has gone up. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty consistent. Uh, not a ton of listeners, but a pretty consistent amount of listeners since the release it's a pretty short project and the whole thing is i think it's like less than 15 minutes long but a lot it's reached a lot more people than i would have thought paid attention to it even outside of japan so that's cool no i loved the album i listened to it last night and i mean it was quick i was like wait they're they're rapping in english now and then i looked up and i was just like on (laughs) like a different (laughs) album at that point (laughs) or something but i was like it was cool and i listened back through it and um um, I mean, it sounds great. Like, like, yeah, like you're saying, I don't know Japanese, but like, um, they make the words sound really good. And then they'll throw in English words too. Yeah. Just like super smooth. And, uh, I, I was digging that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been really, uh, it was, it's interesting too, because I certainly don't speak Japanese either, but a lot of my early collaborations when I started putting beat tapes online came from other countries. Like there was a kid from Poland who recorded several tracks and sent them to me. And I was like, again, I have no idea what you're saying. Nice job though. <laughs> uh, kid, uh, there's a kid from Mexico. Yeah. Just, I have a friend named Ruby Abara who, who's wrapped in Tagalog, uh, Filipino uh, language. So it's been like unintentionally a lot of my music ends up having foreign language on it. What's so, so cool about that is that it's especially now that we are in quarantine that's kind of the working model for the future is this international um non-local collaboration and it's cool that you kind of got ahead of the curve there because that might actually really end up working out for you in the long run, you know. Yeah, I mean that's it's funny cuz that's even back to the origins of why I started putting music out, um, it was because I made more music than MCs could keep up with. <laughs> like in terms of like for every 10 songs I would make, they would record one song. Yeah. So I just started putting them out because I was like, well, if they don't like them or, you know, if they don't want to use them, maybe somebody will, or maybe they'll just be fine as instrumentals. Um, but then people started sending them back to me with vocals and it was getting to like Australia and Ukraine and Japan and, you know, all these different places. And I was like, oh man, 
maybe this is how I'm going to find my artist roster to work with. So yeah. I wanted to say, cause you pointed out go getter that when I first met you, uh, you're like, Oh, I make music. And I was like, Oh great. I'll, I'll listen to it. What's your, you know, what's your name? And you said love Jones. And so I went back and I listened to go getter and I told you this, but chill pill is famous. And I was like, my mind was blown because, I mean, I am a millennial and I listen to lo-fi beats to study and chill to or whatever. And I mean, Chill Pill was like on the original playlist on on YouTube back in the day. And yeah. I remember hearing it and just like being in disbelief. I'm like, there's no way. I was like, you're a legend. Definitely <laughs> not a legend. I've just been flooding the internet with music for a long time yeah that's something a legend would do yeah (laughs) but it's one of those things too a lot of it will come back to me in that way because i don't i just keep putting it out and then i don't think about like where it ends up or who's listening to it but the listenership has been also pretty consistent for years um until spotify or whoever will send you data to show you who's listening and where i was Mm -hmm. like i don't know sometimes you just get an email out of the blue from another country or, you know, another city um, and uh, people will want to use it or will just send me a whole track they've already recorded, um, which is, uh, I'm always impressed because it's part of the reason I make it. Cause I'm like, I assume somebody will respond to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think we should listen to what you're working on right now? Yeah. Um, cool. I, can, I can go through it a little bit. Um, I was talking to you all earlier about this, but so there was a, um, a remix project, part of Birth Out of This. Um, quarantine but I was like all right so all the vocalists I know are kind of trapped indoors and that some people aren't inspired I was like let me just go back and remix some of my favorite verses from artists and so there's a Jay-Z song called Moment of Clarity that I always liked the verses on but I never liked the beat for it so I was like I'll just make my own beat but I wanted to source people in my community to make the beat or at least some of the samples. So one of the samples, this kind of main chord progression. So that was not the original book. that's the chopped up version of a sample that one of my friends had sent me just them kind of messing around on the organ and I liked how kind of dirty and like uh, kind of almost off kilter it sounds it doesn't sound like it was expertly recorded Mm -hmm. Um, but because of what I was doing and kind of using an old dusty acapella I was like let me kind of make this grimy sounding too so I found um a few layers of drums that I was messing with. Uh, I'll play a little drum sample, but I, I found a little break, filtered it a little bit to make it sound worse, <laughs> uh, to make it sound dusty, um, and to kind of lay the foundation of the, the BPMs. I think it's like 91 BPMs, um, but I'll play that right now. So just to give the idea. 
Yeah. So it yeah. sounds lo-fi and kind of crunchy, but that was right. the And that's just kind of where I start with some stuff. So I'll start with the drums and the sample and then try to punch it up or take stuff away from there. Um, so I added another set of drums. Even though I wanted the drums to sound dusty, I wanted the kick to hit harder. So I've made a, a fan, I have like a bunch of um, stems that I use, or like kicks and snares that I'll use that I've kind of made for myself to use. Um, and this one is kind of a fatter kick, so it can hit a little bit harder, but I don't know if this will pick up on the speaker, but I'll play it just for a second. I can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't <laughs> sound like much, but if you put it under the drum beat. Oh, yeah. So it starts to just kind of hit a little bit under that. But then because the kick was suddenly louder, I wanted to add a snare to kind of balance that out. So. Sure. I added this. So the snare itself has a little bit of reverb to it. Yeah, it's just, it's pretty simple, but like, as I start to layer it up, I was like, I want it to sound like it could be a believable part of the same drum kit, but, sure. but stand out a little bit above it. So it hits a little harder. Um, so I took the same sample and boosted the bass in it a little bit um, so that once it kicks in past the original sample, that it just hits, it just sounds a lot thicker once the, the lyrics kick in. So if I play it all together. put like little breaks and punchline stops and yeah. uh, little edits throughout the beat to kind of not make it sound super repetitive. That was awesome. Nice. I just did it for fun. But <laughs> yeah. It was fun to like use samples that were sourced for my friends to make a like a remix to a favorite yeah. track. So Yeah. I was I do a little bit of music here and there and have been doodling around a bit more in quarantine and I started doing like a couple of covers of things just because I was like I could figure out like how to play that like you know and then piece it together just you know <laughs> it's fun I because it's like yeah I want to play a song that I already know is good <laughs> so I don't have to make something up <laughs> exactly and I, I feel like it's kind of like um, because I know so many people are not super inspired or like I've just heard a lot of songs about quarantine that I wasn't really fond of but right. I was like let me just find some vocals that I do know and like and then try to force my way 
yeah. into a remix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't used for anything. It was just for fun. Yeah, yeah totally. Has your taste in music? Because, you know, last time we talked, um, we kind of talked about um, the influence of world music, like Afro world music on the type of music that you make. And yeah. we were collaborating on Schoolgirls. And I just wonder how much of that influence is still around. Uh, a lot. <laughs> I, uh, it's been really amazing to watch that make the rounds too. That was such a fun project to work on because I think a lot of people, even though it's funny how many people will know that you make music and then just assume you make all genres of music. Uh, and they'll be like, Oh, make something I can dance to. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really make dance music. Like you could nod your head is probably as much dancing as you could do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think the influence of that has always kind of been there, whether I make dance music or world music uh, at all. So a lot of the things that I gathered for that, like kalimba noises and kind of reggaeton, dance hallish, uh, even Afrobeat type stuff. Um, I'm always fascinated at drum patterns, how you could have the same BPM, but if you move the snare and the kick around, it sounds like it's from another country. Mm -hmm. um, so studying that for that project was really fun and kind of a, like being able to kind of sneak in some other uh, like personal influences too was fun mm -hmm. uh, because so much of it, even in pop culture, has kind of turned into like a more global sound, you know, where you have like, I mean, it's certainly not a reference that I'm proud of, but like, uh, you know, like there's like Major Lazer or uh, Justin Bieber, you know, people try to switch it up and have some more global sound. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we could do that at a local level using mm -hmm. the challenge then would be just to change up the drum pattern. Uh, and, you know, part of it was a fun pro. There was one song called Magic Maker that I made for that project that, um, that was like a dedication to my uh, my grandmother uh, without anybody even knowing because she grew up in Puerto Rico um, and she lived to be in her 90s. But when she was passing away, like I was at her, her deathbed and she she wanted a CD of the Coqui, which is the frog from mm, Puerto Rico. Yeah, the Coqui, yeah. She wanted to listen to that as she was taking her last breath. And I remember like listening... Uh, it, like I, in Puerto Rico, that frog is everywhere at night. As soon as the sun goes down, it's all you hear. It's like your cricket. So it's funny to me that like, even when she was like a sound that most people are like, God, it's just so annoying. It never ends. But it was like this peaceful moment for her. Um, so I took the chirp of the coquille and put it into one of the beats just for fun. Cause it was a sound I always wanted to use. That's was, amazing. I wish you had told me that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in terms of making that track and how it influenced me. I think I still want to make more of that stuff and kind of mess around with it. Like that kind of felt like that project gave me permission to let myself experiment Yeah. Um, with the sounds. Uh, called it kind of like lo-fi world music. Yeah, it was really an interesting uh, mixture of those two genres because what's nice about the world music is that it's so energizing. And what's nice about the lo-fi music is that it's repetitive and that makes it relaxing. And yeah. so it gave the audience this kind of like suspense, but it also 
wasn't I mean it was just enough to dance but not enough to like like you were saying it's like enough to bob your head and feel energized but not enough to you know feel distracted or feel like it's overpowering you or making you want to stand up and actually dance and so it was perfect for our show and I'll tell you I don't know if I told you this in person but you know how I am I'm always watching the audience and I'm always watching how they're receiving um, the music and especially the African people who came to see the yeah. play really, you could tell that they could feel the music, you know, and that, and that's how I knew it was right. Because as a target for schoolgirls, we wanted to kind of let them know that this was a safe space for them. And yeah. you can tell as soon as they walked in, they felt that and they felt like the music kind of invited them into that space. And so thank you for, for, for putting that together. Yeah, man. Thank you for even letting me be a part of it. It was it was really fun to go to the theater and kind of sit in the crowd and watch people react to it too, and be like, "Oh, look! I'm... <laughs> they don't even know I'm right <laughs> behind them, and they're dancing to, they're moving around to the song." It's also really fun to hear your own music through a sound system like that. I'm sure yeah. you, yeah, yeah. That's so rare that you get the opportunity to be in like an actual performance space and not just like a bar or a coffee yeah. shop or something. Yeah, and hear the music on a system, and you're like, I still get like where I'm like, oh, I should have changed that. <laughs> but, but it still sounds cool to hear it in a venue where people are like, that's what it was designed for. Right, right. All right. Uh, well, great. How about we take our break right here, and we'll come back. We'll do headlines, plugs, and we'll wrap it up. If you're hearing this right now, that means you're a fan of Radical Listening Podcast. And as a fan of Radical Listening Podcast, we'd like to give you a special prize. If you want to have your headline read during headlines, please email us at radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com with your name and the headline, a link attached, and we will read it and give you a shout out on the show. Just a way to keep us all together. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, headlines, where we read a headline and we get your reaction to it. So we'll read the headline and you can just react to what you're hearing. So, right, yeah. So the the headline officially is Waffle House customer cooks up his own meal at an empty restaurant. Um, (laughs) You might have heard about it because it was like 2017, but um, this dude... uh, was in uh, South Carolina, and he went into a Waffle House late night, and he was drunk, and he was like, I want to <laughs> get myself some food, and then, like, no one was in there, and he was like, where is everybody, and he didn't know, so he just started cooking food, and then he found the dude, like, there was, like, some, like one of the workers was just, like, asleep in the back. <laughs> a simpler time. <laughs> so... Would you, in in 2017, do you think you would have, if you stumbled into an empty Waffle House and uh, no one was there, would you have cooked yourself food? There are so many problematic things with this. Uh, Man. Well, think about how good Waffle House waffles are. Have you guys had Waffle House waffles? Yeah, man. I I grew up in the South. It's like the only thing you could go to sometimes on a road trip. Yeah. Exactly. Like, maybe this was the only place around the dude's, like, gotta eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's 3 a.m. I need to eat. Waffle. Why is there always news like this in Waffle House? Yeah, I don't it's, know. Because they're 24 hours. Oh, yeah. that's true. Oh, anything can happen in a 24 hour joint. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But, like, I feel for the dude who fell asleep, though, because I've worked, like, overnight shifts before, and that can, if you, if you mess up and didn't get the sleep in time, like, 
you're like, oh, I'm looking at a 24 hour day now, and you might just fall asleep if no one's coming in. I get, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. In the in the unlikely scenario that I would have stumbled into a Waffle House uh, and found it <laughs> abandoned, I feel like I would, if I was bold enough to go into the kitchen, I think I would find ingredients that I want and run away. I don't know if I would take it. <laughs> Fair, fair, fair. That's true. Just like, like I would take, find like, a waffle um, batter and a bunch yeah. of sausage and run away. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll go make it at home. Like a big old Tupperware waffle batter. Yeah, just like a 50 gallon drum of batter. Like rolling. Yeah. The idea that you would go into a restaurant, cook your own food, and sit down there and eat it is just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, what? As an uh, as an employee, do you kick them out or do you just give them props and like? Yeah, do you oh, give him a I'm tip? Fired either way. <laughs> He's apparently he paid the next day. Like he he went back and paid. Oh, that's even more crazy. He's like, I no, know, this is right? completely legit. Well, he put it all over the internet too, so it was like, uh, you know, he, is this he, like he, he a Instagram? Yeah, ev- you know, <laughs> everyone got to take pictures of everything cool they do. It's way cooler if you never took pictures. That's of what it. I'm saying. Yeah, Sometimes. it's like. <laughs> There's there's two different types of people, you know. There's the people who do it for Instagram, and there's people who do it because they're drunk. Because they're anarchists. <laughs> Anyways, I th- I thought that was funny. That's good. No, it, it, that sounds like a totally relevant COVID headline, though. Like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, decided to live there. Uh, yeah, well, hell yeah. Uh, hunker down. If they got Wi-Fi, I'm not leaving. Right. It says how it's my <laughs> it says house. 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So have you heard about this? Uh, Chuck E. Cheese is delivering pizza using another name. Oh, I did hear about that. So, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese is, is delivering pizza on Grubhub under the name Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. And some, yeah. some guy ordered pizza and he didn't know it was Chuck E. Cheese pizza. I don't know if I like <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese pizza enough to want delivered to my house. Yeah, I know. Like, some of the barrel are your options that you chose Pasquale's from Grubhub anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look into Pasquale's. <laughs> What's the rating of Pasquale's Pizza and Wings? Yeah, like you're like, no, I don't want Domino's or Papa John's. Or, <laughs> like, if you're already ordering from a chain pizza place. And you ended up at Pasquale's as the option. You get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> you could easily look that up. Yeah, there's no way you you got to that, and you're like, oh yeah, I know them. Yeah, Pasquale. <laughs> the thing is, they didn't really actually even change their name because within, I think, within the Chuck E. Cheese establishment, if you go over to get pizza, it's at Pasquale's. I'm pretty sure they have all these weird characters. Um, oh yeah. I mean, that makes sense, but it's like no one's thinking about that. Yeah, It's the animatronic pizza guy. Right, it's like the Mario and (laughs) Luigi of Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, Charles Charles Entertainment Cheese. That's That's what the E stands for. If you haven't looked into the the backstory of Chuck E. Cheese, you have to because there's a lot there. We should make a documentary like a a Tiger King documentary (laughs) about Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, I, I remember when me and my brother were in high school, we thought it would be funny to like get some friends and go to Chuck E. Cheese. And we went and they wouldn't let us in because we didn't have a kid with us. And we were like, what? And we were like, oh, I guess the last time I was here was when I was like eight. Yeah. I uh, want you to know that oh, I dude. went to Chuck E. Cheese on a college spring break 
with like several of my friends <laughs> and had a great time. It's probably their excuse. If they're like, if they see a group of like 16 year olds, they're like, all right, guys. Yeah, like, you're just going to come yeah. in here and roast everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the location, location I'm sure. Uh, I've got some, some bad news. Um, what? No, NASA did not detect evidence of a parallel universe where time runs backwards. Have you guys heard about this? I heard that they might. So a couple days ago, trending on the internet, uh, there were a lot of articles saying that uh, NASA detected a parallel universe and that it was you know something to do with the Arctic and um, something about... Uh, with the Arctic, oh no. Yeah. And something <laughs> oh, about no, neutrinos going backwards and something well, like that. Well, it was like cosmic rays were coming from the wrong direction. That's, That's what, what they said. I remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. So NASA hopped on Twitter to clear this all up. <laughs> they actually, so basically their explanation is that the, the weird behavior of these rays has more to do with the ice than a parallel universe and just maybe our lack of understanding of uh, the we're ice. Reflecting it weird. Yeah. yeah. And so they're saying basically that the parallel universe is like the bottom, like the last option, like, probably not that so if you were like kind of like oh great maybe everything's fine in the other universe nope this is this is the only one (laughs) yeah i can't imagine the pressure of nasa having to try to refute like whether it's truthful or not like trying to argue on twitter a logical point about any kind of (laughs) space related uh yeah topics with the internet i was like i just can't even if you tell the truth you get (laughs) roasted and flipped and conspiracy so i can't imagine oh especially right now yeah exactly yeah so (laughs) no matter what you say it's gonna sound like a government cover-up or something you're like no like this did not happen like yeah that's what you want to think this is a deep state cover-up of the parallel universe Well, we also, though, I mean, they also just, like, the Air Force had released all those, you know, UFO things right before coronavirus, and we're all like, nah, whatever, you know, like, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a really wild video to see over yeah. and over again. And you're like, I was just watching it again recently, yeah. Yeah, and somebody, I was listening to a podcast yesterday who was talking about how that's just an edited, like, whatever they did release was just an edited clip and that there's more footage and Oh, wow. You know, that, that it's, and it doesn't have, because the footage that civilians get to see is all like black and white. Mm-hmm. Right. With like all the mechanical information and data running around it. But they're like, there's color video of They, they have, have like, like a, a real, real camera. camera. Yeah. What? Mm. Yeah. Like that's just an edited clip. Cause the whole thing's like, it's like two seconds. You see it zero in and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, there's, they definitely kept following this. Where's yeah, the rest right. of it? And there's no way that's their best camera. Yeah. <laughs> on a fighter jet. They've <laughs> right. gotta have like at least a GoPro on there. Yeah. Yeah. Like they filmed it with a like with a Game Boy or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, doing? I was wondering when I watched that video, I was like, so if I saw something like that, I would have to follow it. Like I'd have to know where that thing is going. Yeah. And, and how do you even keep up with something that's moving that fast? You just fly above it and Right. Like, where did it, how did that end? How did that person right. end? Yeah, exactly. They said it was moving like 19,000 miles an hour or something crazy. Like, yeah. And apparently the size of a suitcase. So, 
I don't know. Who knows? Aliens but, are uh, real. I just thought I just thought it was wild that we all were just like, okay. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, well, chill. I mean, because I think we already pretty much thought that, but it's like when you have, what, what are, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing right now, I'll tell you that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do some plugs. Uh, yeah, some plugs. Plugs. So this is the part of the show where you can plug um, anything that you think uh, the listeners should know about. Uh, that can be something online, or you know, a book they can read, or maybe a new release. I mean, in, in terms of things that are coming up for me, um, I'm part of a collective of musicians and multimedia artist called the 5-7 Collective, uh, which was started by J57, who's a producer based in New York. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just like kind of a, a loosely affiliated collective of people. Um, we are <clears throat> launching a, it's not a Twitch channel, but it will be on Twitch. Uh, but it's essentially like a live stream series with all the people within the collective doing what they do. So I'll be playing beats as part of a showcase on 5-7 TV is what it's being called uh, at 2 p.m. on May 27th on streaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube and all that stuff. So that's one thing I have coming up. Um, I am going to put continue putting out. Uh, so I put out a project uh, earlier this year called Sittings, which was it's an album, but it's a collection of beats that I made in the last year that just didn't, I just didn't have space to put them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started, it was going to be originally like a 44 track album uh, of instrumentals. And then some people told me that that was way too long of an album, even though they're all a minute long. <laughs> um, so I, I broke that album into three albums and I'm going to put the second part of that series out uh probably in june um and the third part in september so try to space it out like like every three months Mm -hmm. um and then there's a project that doesn't have a release date right now it it sounds really epic because it's essentially been in the works for like 10 years but it's a friend of mine who's an mc and educator who has just moved all over the place and recorded single tracks here and there uh, and finally, like, compiled into a 10-track album. And that will be released fairly soon, in the next few months, I'm assuming, once we finish mastering it. But that's just been kind of a fun a fun passion project for, like, years. It's, there's been, like, no deadline on it. And mm-hmm. um, we've just stayed in touch for, for so long. And we only actually got to see each other maybe one time in the 10 years. Uh, so that should be a fun project. Um, I'll, you know, I'll announce it at some point once it's ready to come out. And then I've been doing like a, I don't know if you've ever seen YouTube videos of people just driving in their cars at night mm-hmm. uh, or like around a city. Okay. With like, you know, just kind of um, driving. To, again, another thing that's popular in Japan for some reason. Um but I have a friend who lives in New York who's a photographer who's been who was taking long form video of New York right when the coronavirus shutdowns were happening. So he's just him driving around 
New York at night, all looking ghostly. So I'm scoring that video. Oh, cool. Um, and we'll put it out at some point. I don't know. I mean, he's got a million things going on, but it was like an interesting project to kind of uh, do the soundtrack for people driving around on the 20 minute clip of uh, empty New York City. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very long winded plug, but we'll see. <laughs> once, it, once it's ready to come out, I'll be able to put more words behind it. But, um, cool. Where can we find you on social media and stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, every me- social media platform is at Love Jones Music. It's L U V J O N E Z M U S I C. All one word. Um, that's on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, but my production name itself is just Love Jones. So if you're on Spotify, Love Jones, L-U-V-J-O-N-E-Z. But on social media, just add music to that. Awesome. Um, I'm going to plug a book I'm, I'm, I just started reading by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. And it's, it's, so far, it's, it's really good. He, he's kind of breaking down the Sandra Bland um case um mm-hmm. and he's comparing it's it's i'm just gonna say it's really good he's he's kind of talking about how people communicate in the 21st century and all of the ways that we miscommunicate and um he brings out these really big examples throughout history and i think it's kind of important right now because of the ways in which communication has changed during quarantine and so it's just been really, it's been a really good read during this break. So I want to plug that and that's it. No, I, I just want to comment. I, I love all of his books, so I didn't even realize he had a new one out, but yeah, I yeah. will definitely check it out. It's funny though, that that's the title of the book. I, when I lived in New York, um, I would take the A train to Manhattan from Brooklyn sometimes. And there was like three consecutive days when I got on the train and Malcolm Gladwell was on the train. Oh, wow. <laughs> And that's just New York, as you always see somebody, you know, I guess he's famous, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not like he's signing autographs everywhere. But I would see him and I was like, should I say something? <laughs> I was like, I, I've read all of his books. So yeah. like one day, just by pure chance, we both got off the train, went up the same stairs and then exited the same subway. And we were like walking next to each other on the sidewalk. And I was like. Hey, I'm not trying to be. I was like, I know this is kind of weird, but you're Malcolm Gladwell, correct? And he was like, yes. Yeah. And so I'd like, oh, I, you know, I read all your books, and I was trying not to have a fanboy. So <laughs> I know this is weird. I try not to do this, but I read all your books. Do you have? And at that moment, he had he was about to publish. I think it's called David versus Goliath or okay. something. Yeah. Anyway. So it was just funny because it's called talking to strangers because that's what I felt like when I was met him. I, <laughs> I totally know who you are and I've read all your books and I'm not trying to be a weirdo, but I like all your books and okay, bye. <laughs> I will say one of the really cool things about this book in particular is if you listen to the audiobook version of it, he is basically taking everything that he does with revisionist history and his podcast and applying it to talking with talking to strangers. So so he like, for instance, like in the book, in the text part where he is talking 
quoting Sandra Bland in the audiobook version, it is the clip of her talking. Oh, nice. And so in the audiobook version, it's just a different Ooh. experience of the book because you're literally, it's like a long podcast about this like really interesting subject. And it's got all these clips and like you feel like you like you hear extended cuts of like the interactions between the police officer and Sandra Bland. And you really feel what she was feeling in those moments. And like, you know, it, it kind of brings you a little bit closer to understanding the miscommunication that was happening and the um, the intensity of that situation. And so both versions of the book are really good. Just putting that out there. No, no. thank you. Um, <clears throat> plugs for me. I mean, honestly, I've spent the last few days just rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender because it's on Netflix. <laughs> so that's all I've got for you at this point. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 such a good story. Um, so I've been that that's been bringing me a lot of joy lately. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's great. Yeah, we should get an Avatar of the Airbender plug at least, you know, once a season. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and chatting with us and hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we'll talk with you soon. All right, yeah. You guys take care. All right, you, you too. too. All right, bye. bye. Thanks for listening to Radical Listening. If you want to follow us, follow us at R listening cast on twitter at radical listening podcast on instagram or email us at radical listening podcast at gmail.com thanks for sticking with us and we'll see you soon